How can we be informed by physicians? And what does it look like in the creation of physician-specific Aboriginal cultural safety education, which is what launched this engagement through video? I don't think it's enough to sort of say, well, you know, I'm going to be a good person and therefore that's enough. Basically, it was physicians speaking to other physicians in these interviews. They were describing their own personal journeys towards Aboriginal cultural safety. What does Aboriginal cultural safety mean to them? What advice do they have to give to other physicians? Realizing how that bias can actually lead us down a wrong path and affect the medicine we deliver today. It can actually, our biases can make us bad doctors, bad physicians. And no one wants to be a bad physician. Hello and welcome back to Interior Voices, an interior health podcast series where we explore the intersection of health and culture in the workplace, our everyday lives, and patient care. I'm Beth Blue, Communication Support for Aboriginal Health. In Episode 10, Sheila and Vanessa continue the conversation about culturally safe care and talk with knowledge facilitator Chris Macklin about a new video series featuring IH physicians talking about their journeys. Just wanted to talk and share a little bit about the physician engagement work that the cultural safety program is a part of. So physician engagement, why it's important of the journey to Aboriginal cultural safety program is because it's been shared with us that physicians want to learn from other physicians. Now, I by no means am a physician, nor is anybody in our team. However, how can we be informed by physicians? And what does it look like in the creation of physician-specific Aboriginal cultural safety education, which is what launched this engagement through video? Yes, absolutely. And that's also important to the allyship in understanding that physicians hear other physicians. And so if there's messaging to get out, this is where the partnership will have the most uh, success in that work. Absolutely, and also because not all physicians work for interior health. So our scope is interior health, whereas physicians are sometimes outside of that. So how can we get it beyond? One of the pieces that was initiated was doing some interviews. I did them, I think, a year ago now, maybe two years ago, and uh, was able to go up to the Williams Lake area and talk to two amazing physicians, Dr. Nicole Robbins and Dr. Glenn Fedor. And it was really great connect up there. And I know there were definitely other physicians who were very much interested in participating. However, unfortunately, just due to scheduling, they were unable to join us. But I do want to raise my hands up to those who were interested but just couldn't make it. But as far as Fedor and Robin, thinking back to what it was like to interview them and to connect. First of all, I think Glenn Fedor is such an amazing character. <laughs> he showed up with cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> oh, and I've yes. only seen him as a physician, so I was like, wow. <laughs> so it was very, that was very nice. But as far as um, setting some time up to talk to them, I just really appreciated both of their messaging as champions. You know, I just think of the really integral pieces. Dr. Robbins spoke about some really integral steps as far as relationship building and actually going out to community and recognizing how far community actually has to travel in and what that means if there's car issues or like something happens and then they're late and then the ramifications of from the interior health perspective if somebody's late multiple times or once or twice then things get cancelled and what that actually can mean for a community member. Just really being mindful and really talking about the journey and the importance of Aboriginal cultural safety that they've found for themselves 
and also how they can see their colleagues can work to improve cultural safety and also maintain cultural safety that has been built already. At the time, Dr. Fedor was actually hammock chair. can't remember what hammock stands for, but it's H-A-M-A-C, hammock chair, and he's no longer the hammock chair. Health Authority Medical Advisory Committee. Thank you. Can you say that one more time, but clearly? Hammock, Health Authority Medical Advisory Committee. Perfect, perfect. And so it was really great that I was able to pull him in so that he could have the conversation. And then knowing that he was transitioning a bit in his career as well, he really was able to give this really broad overview of his journey of even knowing of the colonial narrative and residential schools and not knowing and that it didn't seem to be something that it was talked about and just his progression over time and the importance of visiting and really listening to story. So that was really, really beautiful. And so that was the beginning of the physician engagement with the videos. I'm very amateur, but all I had was a video camera and some lighting. I actually kind of laughed because I was able to find a space and the amazing Lori Boothby, who's no longer with us, she's moved to another health authority, but the amazing Lori Boothby, I was like, there's a fan, I can hear the fan in the room, can you please turn off the fan? And she literally had to call maintenance to like shut out of turning, flipping the switch. So, you know, huge support up there for trying to do this amateur video, (laughs) meaning on my part, not the people that I interviewed. And um, just setting up that space, so it was really supported as far as the facility and through Lori and her team and also with Fedora and, and Robin. So now that the program has expanded beyond just myself and we have a team, we have this amazing knowledge facilitator with us, Chris Macklin, who's going to be talking next. And just in this next phase, he was really able to take it a lot further. And so I want to hand it off to him because now that work is moving forward under knowledge facilitator Chris Macklin. Thank you so much, Vanessa, for giving us that beginning of the journey and the inspiration. And so this brings us to Chris Macklin. And so, uh, Chris, can you share with us the video interviews that you oversaw? Where do I even begin? Thank you so much, Vanessa, for providing the background and the context for our uh, upcoming series of physician cultural safety videos for for getting all of this started. I'm definitely grateful for her and all of her support. But I have to say that interviews that I conducted with physicians were truly some of the most profound and powerful experiences uh, of both my life and my professional career. These physicians, they had such amazing and insightful advice and experiences to share. They talked about considerations for physician practice at the individual level, the patient encounter, but they also talked about considerations at the systems level. So what are the big picture things that physicians have to consider in terms of advancing cultural safety? Every single interview was emotional. It was heartfelt. The physicians were open and reflexive and they were vulnerable. I really honored the physicians for really creating that safe space with me and opening up and reflecting on their own personal journeys. As Dr. Harshandel said to me in a recent conversation, we all need to wear our own vulnerability. Mm. So I thought that was a, a really powerful statement by Harsh. But yeah, basically it was physicians speaking to other physicians in these interviews. They were describing their own personal journeys towards Aboriginal cultural safety. What does Aboriginal cultural safety mean to them? What advice do they have to give to other physicians? Uh, So we really wanted to celebrate those physician champions for Aboriginal cultural safety at Interior Health. 
that was our ultimate goal because physicians are so integral to the delivery of high quality care. And we hope that the physicians that we interviewed are going to be exemplars for other physicians and they will carry this momentum forward in terms of advancing cultural safety across interior health and beyond. Excellent. I'm just wondering if you had any more to add. You did touch on this quite well, but just in case there's more to add to that, can you share with us the importance of physician engagement in cultural safety? As I said before, physicians, they're so integral to the delivery of high quality care. I mean, physicians are the, the gatekeepers. Um, their reach extends so far, and just in terms of the weight that their word carries, not only in terms of interactions with patients and healing, but also the weight that it carries at the structural level and the systems level. Mm-hmm. So we really need to get physicians on the cultural safety train. Mm-hmm. And personally, I think the best way that we can do that is by celebrating these physician champions, you know. What I thought was really cool is that the physicians we interviewed were all kind of at different stages at their cultural safety journey. And that's totally okay. Cultural safety, it's a process of lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. And physicians acknowledge that. I mean, some had years or decades of extensive involvement and engagement with Indigenous communities. And some were just sort of taking those initial steps on their journey towards Aboriginal cultural safety and just beginning to understand colonial narrative and how colonization has impacted their patients. What considerations does that have for their treatment plan, you know, traditional healing, spiritual care, Mm -hmm. you know, things that they had never considered before. Uh, You could really see the gears turning in the minds of the physicians uh, and the light bulbs going off as they were reflecting back on their own practice and just thinking on, you know, the different areas that they can integrate cultural safety into their own practice and, and what that looks like. And I think they really succinctly and eloquently summarized that and were able to convey it within these interviews. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to distributing these videos, and I'm hoping that every single person at IH watches them because they are so amazingly powerful Mm -hmm. and impactful. And the wisdom and knowledge that these physicians have to share, I think, is is just incredible, and, and it needs to get out there. And I think, too, the other part that's really important is that there is a declaration of commitment to cultural safety and humility in health services at a provincial level, but also the colleges of physicians and surgeons have also signed off on their own declaration. And so it really also brings it local. So what does these high-level declarations of commitments that have been signed, what does that mean at a local level? You know, to have actual physicians talk about the different places where they are on the journey, but also talk about what cultural safety looks like, what's culturally unsafe. Um, I think those are integral pieces because people in general really want to know that, but physicians, you know, thinking of that. And also, again, knowing that not all of our people have a physician that they go to, you know, they're not attached to a physician. Um, and then those that are, how is that experience and, and how, do, how can we nurture and grow? Knowing that our people, all people are at their most vulnerable when they're asking for help because even if you just look at the essence of asking for help, um, some of us can have a really hard time asking for help, never mind when it's critical to our health and well-being. So just tying those pieces together. I think that's a great way of leading us into the next question that I have for you is uh, how does culturally safe healthcare improve health outcomes for Aboriginal clients and patients? 
Well, I think Aboriginal cultural safety is foundational to the entire journey yeah. that an Aboriginal recipient of care has from the moment they step out the door until you know, the moment they walk in the door to a health facility to you know seeing perhaps a admin person to seeing a clinician to being admitted discharged receiving community supports cultural safety just weaves itself through all of those different services you know we, we want these services to be safe and welcoming we want Aboriginal people's worldviews and perspectives on health and wellness to be acknowledged and validated. We need to recognize that it's the Aboriginal recipient of care who defines the extent to which culture is a part of their care. So I think that's a real big part of cultural safety and cultural humility. And just really having providers be aware of that just goes so far towards creating these safe spaces. And if we have safe spaces, then you know, we'll have more Aboriginal people accessing services. Uh, we'll have more client satisfaction. And I think it'll create stronger, more trusting relationships be between providers and clients as well. Uh, and you know what, even create a more satisfying job experience and job satisfaction for providers. So cultural safety, it, it really hits a lot of areas in terms of improving health and wellness at mm. a lot of different levels. And I think just to add to that, you know, we know across the board in our literature that um, there's health gaps. You know, we don't need to research that anymore, although there's a lot of good places to research and, and enhance that, but it's been established that there are health gaps for the health and wellness of Aboriginal peoples in comparison to all of the British Columbians. So when you look at that, what are some of the initiatives that are taking place that are maintaining that gap? And what are some of the things that are working to truly reduce that gap and actually improve the health and well-being of our, of our families and our communities? The other part is, you know, we're very conscientious that there are many Aboriginal people not accessing health care to the detriment of their own health because of culturally unsafe experiences. And so by really taking on cultural safety, that is no longer leaving it solely on the shoulders of Aboriginal peoples to do this work. It is each of us taking our place in that circle of cultural safety to do our work, whatever that means for us as Aboriginal peoples or non-Aboriginal peoples. Oh, thank you. Thank you to both of you for that, rounding out that question. You did touch on this, but how do you hope to see the videos utilized by healthcare workers? As I said before, I hope these videos get everywhere and anywhere. The advice that the physicians give is not only applicable for physicians, it's applicable for anybody working within healthcare. You know, the, the insights and advice that the physicians speak to is actionable, it's practical. They give real examples of how they integrate cultural safety into their own practice that I think health providers can can really take to heart and um, you know make cultural safety a part of their their day-to-day -day lives and their day-to-day -day practice so I'd like to see these videos go on every single social media channel that we have which they're going to and perhaps even become like a learning resource in the future you know what if we could expand upon this video series and interview more physicians. I've found that these cultural safety champions are such a wealth of knowledge that we really need to tap into. Mm. And these are non-Indigenous peoples. These physicians are allies. 
They are amazing allies, and we really need to raise our hands to them and, as Vanessa said, bring them into the circle mm -hmm. and really learn from the good work that they're doing. So, Yeah, and I think also what I'd add to that is that those allies and champions that are out there, that they're inspired to continue their work and knowing that they're not alone, I think I also want it to be accessed for those who are wanting to and have a desire to but they don't know where to start this gives them examples to know that you can be anywhere on your journey and it's not about perfection it's about making mistakes and giving it a try and putting your effort forward and learning from those experiences and growing from those experiences and maybe some aha moments for people as well just mm -hmm. by witnessing other people's journey because sometimes that's how we learn and I think to just kind of bring this back to our physician specific cultural safety education you know, the hope is that these videos will be a first phase and there will be more phases to come where we can actually look at building accredited physician-specific cultural safety education and formats that are accessible to them as well. That is amazing and, and already in my mind's eye I can see the opportunities of how these videos could be utilized by healthcare workers. Like I'm already, you know, you pointed out that physicians listen to other physicians and what an opportunity that these videos will be accessible on so many different platforms that students who are following the healthcare profession could have weekly meetings where they sit around a video every week ask like, hey, what did this physician have to share with us? Almost giving them this kind of mentor position that can continually be replayed as much as those students or learners or those who are trying to access how do we provide good culturally safe care so we can have the best outcomes for, for every person that matters. Mm -hmm. And during my uh, physician interviews, and I don't think this made it into any of the clips, but a lot of the physicians really spoke to during their training they had almost zero exposure to mm -hmm. the historical context of Aboriginal peoples in Canada and what implications that has for health practice. Mm -hmm. so as Dr. Cameron Golmati said, it's about being curious, it's about doing your own learning, it's about being humble, it's about understanding and listening to people's stories. Stories are so important. Mm -hmm. Understanding that historical context. But I think the being curious part is so important. and. Mm -hmm. We can be curious, you just have to be respectful. Mm -hmm. And really the intent of, I think, any of the work that we do is to nurture and enrich people, provide opportunities that um, nurture and enrich somebody's learning as they're on their journey. Of we'll conclude today's episode with some tips for physicians gleaned from Vanessa's interviews with Dr. Nicole Robbins and Dr. Glenn Fedor. That's the worst case scenario for us, you know, is that you, you have to talk to somebody and you find that, you know, you, you know that you're going to be interrupted. And I, I do tend to warn people about that up front. And that, that would be true for anyone, you know, whether they are a business executive or a single mom with their baby. Like a lot of people have made a big effort to see you and they need to know that you realize that and you understand that. And when you've done that, have you seen the response favorable from yes, your patient? Definitely. And what are some of the things that they give back to you? Oh, they'll say things like, oh, I know you're busy. I know you have a lot of places you have to be. I understand that, yeah, there's somebody very sick, you know, um, you know, they understand that as a surgeon, that one day they'll say, well, if it was me, I would want you to be there for me, right? So people get that, but I think you just have to be a bit transparent about what you're doing. I also take the time quite often if I have 
patients who have um, difficult diagnoses, you know, cancer, that kind of thing. You know, we get an extra time allotted for that. Like we basically get paid extra for people who are going to need a more prolonged counseling session. So I think you have to realize that as well, like you are getting paid the extra for that. So, you know, there are complex discussions that people have. Um, I try not to book people with those situations, like, you know, in the middle of the morning. I might book them at the end of the morning. But you can uh, help that person see that you are listening to them because that's what people don't want to have happen is even if you're rushed, they want to make sure that you are actually really listening to them. So body language, things like that are very important. So, you know, putting yourself at their level. So if they're lying in a stretcher in the emergency department, if you can, it's helpful to sit, you know, and uh, even just for a few minutes just to, and to be on their level and be able to talk with them. And I try to at least do that as, um, in the eMERGE. And, you know, just those little touch things as well, like so you can hold someone's hand or, you know, just let them know that you actually see them there, they're a real person for you. It's just really important to remember all the time why um, you wanted to be a physician, a caregiver, not to get lost in the busyness, the stress, the lack of resources, all those things that people complain about in the hospital and never allow that to be an excuse not to um, see the human being in front of you and to try to see that person all the time as a you know, a fully dimensional person. They're not just a patient. They're not just that person in front of you. Some of the key points I've learned is slow down. Don't judge too quickly. When they come into the room with their family and relatives, seek to understand the dynamics in the room of who is who, what their relationship is, who supports who. Because really when we're talking about patient care, it's about patient-centered, but also within every center, there's a surrounding circle around that. And who makes up that circle in one's family is really important to understand. Because we know that in healthcare today, it's all about team-based care. And really families are now part of the team. I've, I find that what I would like other physicians do is really understand that really the importance of letting the patients decide what health care they wish to choose in their journey of a lifetime. If anything, what I've learned over, over the years by letting patients have power in their journey of their illness is that you get this feeling of a privilege to treat someone. It's like it's almost like a reward. I know we get rewards in different ways as physicians, but sometimes the most beneficial reward, the most powerful reward a physician can get from a patient is the privilege to help them in their journey. And that is something that really no money can buy. You know, take a pause a bit and take a little time out ourselves to realize that let's not repeat the abuses of the past because really you're just going to keep the, the journey uh, going in a wrong way and that's what you don't want to keep repeating like why you know, often say if it's not working don't keep repeating it and, and I think what we need to do is understand based on what traumas people have experienced in the past is be very uh, acknowledging that we don't continue to repeat the process and I must admit it's um, it can be challenging to deal with stereotypes, especially with, with colleagues and co-workers and all that. But I think what I've learned to do, and I force myself to do, 
is to challenge myself to stand up and say, that's not right. We definitely need to be more sensitive of how we first react to people when they come through the door. And I think, to some extent, um, you know, we, we have biases and we're, we're all biased, and I don't think we'll ever be bias-free. But I think, I think what we need to do is challenge all our stereotypes. And, and I think what we need to do is throw away our, our, some of our biases that we develop, or at least challenge them every day that this is a bias, and is it really accurate for that? And, and realizing how that bias can actually lead us down a wrong path and affect the medicine we deliver today. And actually, our biases can make us bad doctors, bad physicians. And no one wants to be a bad physician. Thank you for listening to episode 10 of Interior Voices. Visit our website at interiorhealth.ca slash interiorvoices for links to additional information about cultural safety and links to the series of videos discussed in this segment. Please join us again on May 28th when the team discusses how language matters. If you have questions or comments about today's podcast, you can email us at interiorvoices at interiorhealth.ca. We'd love to hear from you. Is that for me? <laughs> <laughs> um, can you repeat the question, please?